What's interesting is that fear is looking down the corridor of time and assuming that bad things are going to happen. What's the old definition? Fear, F-E-A-R. False expectations appearing real. So you look down and you say, this is all going to go bad. It's possible that it could go bad, but we're taking a false expectation and we're rolling it out there as that that's exactly what's going to happen. The Bible talks a lot about fear. You read about people fearing or being told not to fear. In contrast, today's world, it seems, tries to get you to fear more and more. Wars, violence, injustice, all of these things are being used to try to make you afraid. Pastor Daniel is going to be teaching about the proper place that fear and worry should have in the life of the follower of Jesus. Although it might not be fun to listen to, through it, you'll be reminded of God's love of and care for you. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6 as he begins a new message, winning the battle against fear and worry. Whether we like it or not, worry and fear are just a real part of all of our lives. I'll tell you just a personal story. I'm pretty much just like a everything's fine kind of a person, but a number of years ago, this was now about 15 years ago, As it relates to teaching the Bible and preaching, I found myself really struggling. I remember that what would happen is, is because I'm teaching God's word and I'm also just a person, you always feel like, who is sufficient for these things? Like, who can do this? And then you add on top of the reality that one, you want to glorify God, and then you realize that everyone's life is happening and it's real. And you're like, I know God wants to do something. And so what started to happen was I would prepare a Bible study. Now, everyone works differently. In college, I realized that I just don't really like being under the gun. So there are some people like, you have a college paper that's due on Friday, and so you do an all-nighter on Thursday. I try and get the paper done on Monday so I can goof off for the rest of the week. That's my nature. And so I don't like being under the gun. And so with preaching, I would do the same thing where it's like I would get the message prepared. I'd have it all dialed in. And I'm like, okay, I'm good to go. But then every time we hit to about Friday and Saturday leading up to Sunday, all of a sudden I found myself being like, maybe I don't understand this or maybe I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And maybe I prepped this all wrong. I need to redo it. And I would find myself going back into my notes and literally like redesigning the whole sermon, taking out huge chunks and putting in all new chunks. And then sure enough, I get to show up on Sunday and I wanted to preach the original message and all the chunks that I put in were useless. Not that they were bad. It was just really what God had for everybody was what I prepared originally. And what I realized over time, because this happened a number of times in pretty quick sequence, and what I realized was that I was just worrying a lot. Because I wasn't at Sunday, I didn't know what God was going to do. I was worrying about it. And what I realized was that my worry was real, and my fear was real, but it was creating issues for me. So I had to find a tool. So the tool that I use is that on Thursday night, I take my notes and I make a PDF out of them, and I'm not allowed to change them. I can pray about it all, I can think about it, I can seek the Lord, but the notes that are done on Thursday end up being the notes that I preach off of. Now, I bring this up because 
worry and fear are just part of our lives. If you think about what they are, it is our mental and sometimes physical response to uncertainty. And if we're being honest, and we don't like having to be honest this way, uncertainty eats our lunch pretty much every day. And the thing is, is almost all of life is uncertain. What was the old saying? There's only two certain things in life. What are they? Death and taxes. Isn't that such a joyful idea? It's just like, wow, get me out of bed in the morning. It's going to be a glorious day. But really, it's part of the human condition that there is life and we only control a little piece of it. Now, I feel like if we're being honest about it, though, fear and worry is on the rise because in some ways we have a lot of control over a bunch of other things that almost feel right. Like you have control over what temperature you have your house set at, the speed of your internet, which cell phone you buy, which kind of car you drive. See, we have all of these decisions that we get to make. You go out to eat, you're like, I want the carbs today, or I actually want the appetizer, I want three desserts. Like, you can choose all these things. And because we have all of these choices that we make, what happens is, is we get used to, there's a lot of things that we can control, but then in light of the things that we have no control over, we really don't know what to do with them. And so in my book, You're Going to Make It, I take a whole section to talk about fear and worry, and I want to try and unpack it for you all in about 30 minutes. Just some big ideas. Now, can I just start by saying this? Anytime a pastor starts talking about fear and worry, ultimately you realize that you're walking on thin ice as a pastor because for people who struggle with fear and worry and anxiety, almost always, no matter what you say, feels like you're diminishing either their faith or their belief And you ultimately feel like there's always someone like, well, you don't know what I'm going through, so how dare you talk that way? And so you end up getting in trouble just for teaching the Bible. So let me start off by saying this. What I want to talk with you about today is the kind of universal feelings of generalized worry and fear that we all experience. I am not here talking about clinical diagnoses of these things. I studied psychology in college, so I know that there is a difference between the generalized feelings of uncertainty that we have and then where we need qualified medical professionals as well as our faith. So if you realize that when you start talking about this, it becomes very, very problematic. I heard it said recently that one of the struggles our generation has is that like in the Bible, Jesus only healed the one guy at the pool of Bethesda. But in our day and age, everyone who he didn't heal would get mad that they weren't the one that got healed by Jesus. We live in a day and age where there's always like, what about this and what about this? So I'm talking about this in the more universal sense. And I realize that in each one of our lives, these things may play out specifically in different ways. And I don't want to diminish in any way the different uniquenesses of situations that people find themselves in. But the Bible does have a lot to say about fear and worry, a ton to say about it. Now, let me start by saying this. You have to realize that fear and worry begins in our minds, in our thought life. It's how we think about what we're experiencing. Now, what the Bible does teach is that the greatest commandment, Jesus said, we should love the Lord our God with all of our minds. And then the Apostle Paul also said we should be putting on the mind of Christ, 
So what that means is for all of us, no matter where you are on the spectrum of struggling with worry or fear or anxiety or all these different things, is that you have to realize that for all of us, there is a call from God, and I believe the Spirit of God empowers us to think differently than the way that we would think naturally. That we need to love God with all of our thoughts, all of our mind, and we need to learn how to put on the mind of Christ, which means we're putting off our own way of thinking and we're putting on the mind of Christ. We're thinking with the thoughts that Jesus thinks, or thunk. That's bad English. I just say that for fun. So part of this journey for all of us is, like I call this message winning the battle against fear and worry. And if I'm going to be really honest with you, winning the battle against fear and worry comes down to fighting it as a battle. That's what it boils down to. You have to fight it as a battle. And what I will say, no matter where you find yourself today, that if you are not fighting the battle against the ways of thinking that generate fear and worry, then you're definitely losing the battle. We have a responsibility as we simply respond to Jesus to do battle against these things. If you think about worry and fear, there is an uncertainty that we experience And there's a gap between like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And there's a space there. And all of us fill in that gap with either trust, we trust God, or we doubt God's goodness. That's like the first thing in the battle right there. What you put in the gap. And for the followers of Jesus, the most important thing to realize is that when faced with uncertainty, we have to try and identify when we lead with God, I trust in you and your purposes. Or when we start with, this is all going to go down in a smoldering heap of mess. And I can say it that way because I'm walking through this life too. Whether it's like my kids, my family, crossroads, my own walk with Jesus. I mean, you just go down the road, like you just go, and all of it is fear and worry inducing. So really worrying is the ways that we respond mentally to uncertainty. What's interesting is that fear is looking down the corridor of time and assuming that bad things are going to happen. What's the old definition? Fear, F-E-A-R. False expectations appearing real. So you look down and you say, this is all going to go bad. It's possible that it could go bad. But we're taking a false expectation and we're rolling it out there is that that's exactly what's going to happen. So us needing to short circuit that process. Now, there's no probably clearer place to go for Jesus' teaching on fear and worry than Matthew chapter 6. So everyone turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to take verses 25 to 34 together. First book in your New Testament, sixth chapter, right there in the Sermon on the Mount. If you brought your Bibles with you, open them up. I hope that all of your Bibles, if you just drop them down, they open to the Sermon on the Mount. It's a great place. Just like, that's where your binding is cracked to. And if it's not, crack the binding right now. And so it'll start tomorrow. Picking up in verse 25. This is what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all of these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, to give you the principle... I've always said it this way, that when the Bible says something once, it wants us to take it seriously. When the Bible says something twice, it's because the Holy Spirit knows that we're a little thick-headed or maybe we were distracted or ADHD in the moment, and so we missed it. But when the Bible says something three times in a row, God ain't messing around. And three times in the nine verses that I read, it says the exact same thing. It says what? Do not worry. So don't worry. Look what it says. I get it in verse 25. He says, do not worry about your life. Verse 31, therefore, do not worry. Then you go down to verse 34, therefore, do not worry. I can just end the sermon. It's the perfect sermon right there. Delete the intro, say, do not worry in Jesus' name, amen. Because Jesus says it three times. And if you notice, all of the do not worries are preceded by one word. What's the word? Therefore. And what do I always say? What's it there for? Thank you very much. I don't even have to say it anymore, Mike. There's therefore. Everyone knows what it means, right? So in each do not worry, there is a therefore, which points us, this is a conclusion of what's preceded it. Now, what's interesting, if we were to go back to verse pretty much 19 of Matthew chapter 6, Everything that Jesus is talking about from 19 to 24 is all about being generous. It's about living a life of biblical generosity. First, it talks about don't lay up treasures on earth, but lay them up in heaven. Anything that someone can steal from you or the natural elements like moth and rust can destroy, that's an earthly thing, not a heavenly thing. He's saying, hey, listen, You're living on earth, but make sure you lay up treasures in heaven. Then you get to verse 22 and 23, which talks about the good eye and the bad eye. And no, he's not talking about your corneas. If you look in the Old Testament, the evil eye or the bad eye is always a picture of being not generous, being more miserly or stingy as it relates to helping other people. It's numerous times in the Proverbs where it says that an evil eye is someone who is not generous with other people. And the idea of the evil eye, it literally speaks about, because the issue is covetousness. The reason we're not generous is because we look at other people, they have more than us, they have better than us, we want to keep up with them, we're like, I'm not going to have enough. And so instead of being open-handed like God is, we're closed-handed and we're hoarding and we can help, but we choose not to, and then we make the reasons why. That's called the evil eye, and Jesus talks about it. And then Jesus lands in verse 24 by being so honest and saying, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one, you're going to hate the other, you have to choose, are you going to serve God or man? which is the Aramaic personification of finances or money. And this isn't the Sermon on the Mount, so Jesus couldn't be more clear. And guess what? Even though it was 2,000 years ago, our world has different variables, but human beings are primarily the same. 
And so Jesus puts the same thing, and he throws the gauntlet down, because he knows, Jesus knows people. He knows what's in our hearts. Oh, man, be generous. Oh, yes, you can't serve God in money. And then someone's bound to say, but then how am I going to survive, God? And Jesus says, therefore, <laughs> do not worry. And that's what he says. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Jesus just kind of cuts it. He knows what the issue is going to be for people. If I'm generous, if I have a good eye and I see people in need and I try and help them and I'm generous, how am I going to put food in my belly? How am I going to put clothes on my body? And Jesus says, don't worry about your life. And then he starts unpacking it for us. Now, it's easy to think, it's easy for Jesus to say that. He doesn't understand what I'm going through. And you got to realize that 2,000 years ago, life looked a lot different than it looks today. Right now, you go home, I'm pretty sure you have some sort of a contraption that you plug into a wall that keeps things cold, and there's stuff in there. Even you young folks, man, Obadiah was like, hey, dad. I'm like, what's up, bud? He's like, can I get me a mini fridge for my room? I'm like, no. Because I was a dude in college with a mini fridge. You know what you call that? A science experiment. You know how that works. There's like 87-day-old pizza in there. I'm like, no. It's like, there's a fridge downstairs, buddy. I'm like, why would you want to make it? He's like, I'm always thirsty. I'm like, I know. You just walk down the hall to your faucet where water comes out. So you go home. There's something to eat. Now, even I remember when I was a professional musician, before I'm the regal person you see before you today. And I remember, like, I lived in a house with two other buddies. We all played music together. And even on our worst week, you could at least make a condiment sandwich. Right? It's like, it's like there was some bread, there's some ketchup, some mustard, some mayo. And you could survive on that stuff. I did for a long time. You go on in there, there's like, because like, it would always happen, like one of your family members would show up and they see like these three dudes living in squalor, you know, and they'd be like, oh man, they'd go buy some canned food, you know what I mean? You come back, there's like a thing of tuna fish or something or some beans or something, you know, and you can, and you can always just put that thing together. But 2,000 years ago, they didn't have an ice box. They can just go home and be like, oh man, I ordered a foot long from Subway, but I should only really eat in six inches of it. So I'm just going to stick it in, I'll save it for later. No, in that culture, it was hot, it was dry, there was no electricity, there was no microwave. You ate what you got. I mean, earlier in Matthew chapter six, Jesus is like, give us this day our daily bread. Because literally, they were praying in the food for the day. When the fishermen would go out and they couldn't catch fish, nobody ate. In times of famine, it's extraordinary, the day and age in which we live. When it's wintertime here, you can still get fresh fruit like it was in a tropical climate. Or you can get like coconuts from Hawaii and they freeze them and then they bring them over and you can get like you're living in Hawaii with some Hawaiian coconuts. But there, if it wasn't grown there, it wouldn't survive to make it there. There's no planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, and then not only is that about just the food side of things, I always joke, you ever see that meme? Jesus is like giving out the free bread and be like, hey, I'm gluten-free, I can't eat that. <laughs> Five loaves of two food, I'm a vegetarian, I can't eat that. And I'm not knocking you, those of you with dietary restrictions or preferences, you're allowed to have them. But back in the day, if you had dietary restrictions or preferences, you died. 
because you couldn't say, I got the gluten-free bread here. It's so good. You know, it's like, it's like the culture was so different. And then as it relates to clothing, they didn't have wardrobes. They didn't have like, oh man, I was looking and for the color palette for the fall, there's earth tones. And I don't have enough earth tones, so I'm going out and I'm going, there's a special at my favorite store and I get me the yellows or I don't, I mean, as you can tell, I have no fashion sense at all. But if you had fashion sense, like there's different styles. I have a daughter who's 14. I'm learning all sorts about how the fashion has changed. She's like, oh no, no, those jeans are out. I'm like, man, jeans are jeans. Like, but I realize there's all different cuts and styles and the whole thing. How many of you made it through the skinny jeans phase? Don't raise your hand. It's, it's embarrassing now. Ain't no one supposed to be wearing skinny jeans. Even if you're skinny, don't wear skinny jeans. <laughs> I have no clue why I'm talking about this. Again, I have no fashion sense. Jesus is talking at a time where people didn't have any clothes. And people would give their outer garments as a down payment if they borrowed something. And by law, they had to give it back because they'd freeze in the middle of the night without it. The whole culture was different. And so we read this like, oh, but it was so much easier 2,000 years ago. No, it wasn't. It was way harder. It's way easier today. And I'm not diminishing life, but Jesus over and over says, listen, don't worry about your life. You don't have to worry about what you're going to eat. You don't have to worry about what you're going to put on. Why? He says, because your life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. There's more going on here than what you're thinking about. Listen to Psalm 37, verses 1 to 8. On the simple idea, just don't worry. It says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. Do not fret. It only causes harm. If that was in the King James Bible, it would be, freakest thou not. Don't freak out. Now, but if you think about all the worry, one of the main drivers of fear and worry right now is politically driven. Now, you realize what a gift we have in America because every four years, you have even the potential option of getting new people there. And even if the person you don't want to be there gets in again, it's only like eight years and then you're on to new people. You realize that for the children of Israel, they had no say. I mean, they had been under Babylonian rule, then they'd been under Medo-Persian rule, then they were under Greek rule. And now at the time of Jesus, they had been under Roman rule for about... 70 years at that point. They had no say in what went on. Zero. There was no elections. They got who they got because that's what it was. So it's amazing that you realize that like, because we have the potential of change, for some reason it ends up playing out in even more fear and worry. Where these, they didn't have, and Jesus like, hey, listen, but don't worry. In the Psalm, don't fret because of evildoers. How many of us are overcome with worry because of all the evil we see in the world. You gotta just grab Psalm 37, verses one and eight. You gotta do battle with it. God is saying, don't worry about this. It only causes harm, not to the evildoers, to us. Jesus is Pastor Daniel shared some stories of his struggles with fear, doubt, and worry today. It's a relief to know that these things are universal, shared by people all around the world. It's also good to know that the Bible offers solutions to these nagging issues of fear and worry. 
you were reminded today of the love that God has for you, which sometimes is manifested by his taking care of you as you go through rough patches in your life. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue his teaching, Winning the Battle Against Fear and Worry. You'll get to think about all of the ways that God is willing and able to help you conquer the anxieties that life throws at you. Pastor Daniel will show that winning this battle requires that you become active in this conflict. And in your fight against these negative things, remember that God loves you. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series, You're Gonna Make It, next time. Until then, may God bless.